Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and Pig, more like John Nick. Am I right? Got wow. John Nick, like John Wick, but with Nick-less Cage. Mm. Oh. Joining mm. me today is Devinder Hardwar. That'll do, Cage. That'll do. <laughs> Jeff Kanata. <laughs> Like Nicolas Cage in this film, I too will be restrained and only shout three times. <laughs> <laughs> and joining us today, he is the senior critic over at Film Freak Central, Walter Chaw. Uh, anyone can cook, but only the fearless can be great. Ooh. Excellent. Ooh. Excellent. Love it. Welcome to the show. You know, Walter was just on the podcast a few weeks ago, and we received, uh, I would describe it as an avalanche of positive feedback about his mm. appearance. People requested... A chavalanche. <laughs> oh. Wow. Oh, wow. And you guys gave wow. me a hard time. You guys yeah. gave me a hard time. TM. Uh, you know, uh, Jeff can really sell it, is the thing. <laughs> People... Re- oh, wow. Okay. People requested, nay demanded, that Walter return. And so, uh, since you mentioned that you had watched Pig, it was one of your favorite movies, Walter. We decided to invite you back. Thank you so much for joining us again, Walter. Great Thank you. you again. Thank you so very much for having me back. I hope I don't uh, spend all the goodwill in one shot today. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> I, I think it's possible that that might happen. Uh, because today on the Filmcast, we are going to be reviewing uh, the new Michael Sarnofsky movie, Pig, starring Nicolas Cage, followed by a review of Cyan Heater's new movie, Coda, which is an Apple original film that's out on Apple TV Plus right now. Uh, so it's a double review episode. That's most of what we're going to do on the podcast today. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. You can email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. And if you want to support the show, very easy to do that by going to patreon.com slash filmpodcast, where you can sign up to receive bonus After Dark episodes uh, that we record most weeks. Next week, we're actually going to take a week off of the after dark for the first time in, I think like 10 months and take a week off. Cause I'm actually going to, as you're listening to this, I will be on vacation. We, we all, we all went on vacation recently. Devinder yeah. went on vacation. I'm going on vacation. Jeff moved. That's basically like vacation, right, Jeff? Like, you, yeah, you, you equally relaxing. Yeah. I yeah. mean, for sure, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, recent episodes have covered that move and, and other fun things, but yeah. Uh, thanks to all the folks at patreon.com slash film podcast for their support. Uh, before we get to our review of Pig, though, there is one thing I wanted to mention that's really interesting, and that is this new accelerated schedule for video on demand. Now, studios for the longest time have been complaining about how when they release a movie in theaters, they basically know by Friday evening that the movie comes out how well that movie is going to do not only for the opening weekend, but for most of the movie's lifetime in theaters. And if the movie tanks, it's like, well, why can't we put that movie on video on demand? And the reason is because of the contracts that they have with movie theater exhibitors uh, like AMC and Regal and so on. Uh, Of course, the pandemic changed all that and movie studios got a lot of leverage because the movie theaters are basically at their mercy. So what we are now seeing is the results of some of those renegotiated contracts, which is to say, movies hitting video on demand real fast. In the last 48 hours, now by the time you're listening to this, these movies will be out already. But as we're recording this, 
Very recently, we have learned that Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe Origins, will be on premium video on demand uh, and premium digital purchase on August 17th, so about a week ago. The Green Knight uh, is going to be out Thursday, August 19th, wherever you rent your movie. So it's out as you're listening to this. And uh, what's fascinating about The Green Knight is that movie was released in theaters on July 30th. Uh So that's like three weeks. And also they're having a special one night screening. Don't forget. Yes. Digitally. And people are pissed because they pay $20, uh, you know, straight to a 24 to see it at a specific time. And a lot of the people said they they could have waited and watched it when it was convenient. So I, I, that, that's another wrinkle in this. Yeah, for them. yeah. So A twenty four basically said we're going to do a one night screening, and everyone was like, "Oh, this is so cool! Yeah, get to yeah. watch the Green Knight at home." I was really excited about this, Devendra. And then they're like, "Oh, but, you know, BT Dubs, uh, you can also <laughs> rent or buy this, you know, as of August nineteenth. Yeah. So it's and like I, I also wonder if they just like didn't know, right? Like when they announced that one night screening, I have to believe. I yeah, have to believe if they were they waiting know. on theaters to be like, is it still going good? Should we should we keep it in theaters? I don't know. Yeah. So my my guess is that they're like, hey, we think we can make more money uh, if we capitalize on the marketing that we already did and get this out on video demand yeah. right now. Now is the time." Uh, with regards to the green because this thing is not like in the top 10 anymore at this point well even Um, the top 10 isn't really the top 10 you know these movies like free guy made like 25 million dollars you know yeah it's not a a slight correction uh as we're recording this last weekend the green net was number nine so it made one million dollars yeah um for a total gross uh, domestically of $14.7 million. When so, was the last time that number nine in August was a yeah. million dollars? You yeah, know? yeah. Um, it, it's not doing super well. And so they're like, well, we might as well just cut our losses right now, get it on video on demand. Uh, the, the, the notion that the movie theaters were back is a little premature, I think, is, the, mm-hmm. is one of the takeaways here. I think that there was that moment in time We've talked about it with Godzilla versus Kong opening with fifty million dollars, right? And it's like, oh my gosh, maybe maybe the movie theaters are back. And in retrospect, that was a flash in the pan of we like we were desperate. We were so desperate, right? That yeah. was like a big blockbuster. Vaccines were starting to feel like, hey, this is you know this is going to end this thing, and uh, <laughs> everyone's going to feel really comfortable going back to theaters again. And uh, yeah. Surely we've all learned our lesson from 2020, right? We're, we're yeah. going to fix things and make it all right so we can keep going to the movies and whatnot. You know, it's sort of interesting. As soon as one of these things becomes available on a digital platform, pirates have access to perfect yeah. high-definition files yeah. of it. So, you know, literally six hours after it debuts on any kind of platform, you can watch it for free if you're so inclined. And so, you know, yeah, it's really an interesting choice. if you're a bad choice. person, Walter, a uh, bad in, person. Indeed. Or, you know, there, there's a lot of reasons people might do it. But mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. The, the, it, it, it's an interesting choice financially because it doesn't seem to be exclusively driven financially. It almost seems like there's a competition to elbow your space into the conversation. You know, I'm not sure that they're so upset that, it, that people are mad about it. it because pe- people being mad about it means people are paying attention to it again. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, but I, I don't know. That's too uh, Machiavellian for me to unpack. Uh, but yeah, th- there's a lot that goes into this and it's kind of a weird landscape right now. Uh, yeah, so it just is a weird feeling. It's, it's like we feel, I feel like we're through the looking glass in uncharted waters right now. Like a movie I just saw in theaters three weeks ago 
is just now going to be available on video on demand. And it's well, like, wow. Is that, does that feel different than, for example, the Suicide Squad being yeah, available yeah. on demand the day it is in theaters and That's even Black sooner. Widow and all that Slight, stuff? Slightly. It's weird. It's weird. Jeff. I, I know it shouldn't. It shouldn't feel the same. It shouldn't feel different, right? Because it's technically the same thing. But I guess like th- there were uh, s- studios seemingly wanting to protect the theatrical experience, right? And now that that we, even those studios that are trying to put some window between the theatrical experience and it being released, it, it, that's like falling away. Even is so, kind of, it, it feels like your position is that this is a bad thing. For you, I'm not talking about for the industry. I'm not talking about for no, 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 no. no I don't who, think it's, it's definitely a good thing for me because it means it's going to be sooner until I can pick up my Green Knight 4K Blu-ray whenever that comes out. Well, that's uh, I think that's my point is that I think yeah. we're framing this conversation like, oh my god, it's a transgression. But I, I'm I'm genuinely asking the panel here: Are options for the consumer bad? Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely don't think like for the consumer, it's definitely good, but it's just kind of the, the question is like overall, like how healthy is the theatrical industry? And I think the, the, this kind of is a sign that it's not doing that well. Cause if I mean, it was going gangbusters, yeah. I don't think they'd be doing this. Right well, now. there are bigger, there are bigger signs such as everything turning back, you know, like, uh, yeah. cases rising. And once again, it's like, it, I, I think we're all working day to day basically. Right. Like a 24 is like, Oh, we got this thing. People really want to see it. Uh, probably a bad idea to encourage more people to keep going to theaters. So let's let's just switch up the thing, you know. And I don't I don't know what does this mean for anything down the line. Like these aren't going to be patterns that we keep repeating because everything changes every day. It's like standing in quicksand. Yeah, I wonder if we're going to see mm-hmm. like windows that are like three to four weeks in the future. You know, sure. Uh, so yeah, go ahead. You, I'm I'm just trying to clarify this. So you, your position would be uh, that. You're worried that the theatrical experience will contract to the point that it won't make financial sense for theaters to be open, and therefore it will be di- more difficult for you to see movies in theaters. You know, taking the COVID angle out of it, which is a big part of the story for sure. But the the concern is that mm. the th- the theatrical experience itself is in danger. Yeah, yeah, and therefore we should. Well- Go ahead, Walter. No, I, I'm sorry. I just I, I would I would just jump in and say that the theatrical experience has a lot to um, uh, 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 speak for in terms of its own downfall. I, yep, I mean, yep, yep. I, I can't remember going to a public screening uh, uh, the last time that I went to a public screening that was not um, corrupted somehow uh, by <laughs> by someone speaking or someone. Uh, uh, putting their feet on the back of my chair, an or someone, infant being rolled up to yeah, the front row. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> All the time exactly. In New York. And, and you know, yeah. when, when even when you're invited to press screenings, if it's during the daytime, great. You know, you're sitting there with ten other grouchy critics, and you know, people are pretty respectful then. You know, except for the one guy writing for the uh, Christian website with a light up pen. But, the, <laughs> but, but if you're invited to evening, that's um, just the um, holy glow of his pen, indeed, yeah. uh, of his righteousness. But um, <laughs> if, if you go to if you're invited to evening screenings those are traditionally filled with people who've won radio contests or picked up uh, flyers at a barber shop and and they're they're kind of designed to be disruptive usually right because they it's like okay this crowd is absolutely loving you know this thing this terrible movie uh it's designed for them They, they adore it so if critics are sort of shoved in there with all of these people then by you know osmosis they'll 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 take away some happy thoughts or at least write in the review 
crowd seemed to love it. I thought it was garbage, but everyone seems to love it. Go take your mother, whatever. Um, and so, you know, we already know that the theatrical experience is a little bit degraded. And whenever this conversation comes up publicly, I, I feel like half of the comments are, dude, I don't even go anyway. I got a big TV. Now I don't have to pay $20 for popcorn. So the theatrical experience already has a lot to speak, you know, has a lot of blame to, to shoulder for it being in kind of dire straits. You know, mm-hmm. I, 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 I used to work for a theater chain. Um, you know, and, and that 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 was trying to do something different, right? You know, throwing people out that were talking or whatever. But you know, there's there there's a larger issue. It's here when Dave brings this up to say, look, um, are we subsidizing the theater industry by only you know by 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 restricting the the product for a period of time? And I hate calling it product, but so so it is. Um, for a period of time in the theaters before we give it to the home video to force people to go into the theaters and guarantee to people that if they go out and endure this thing among other people, that they'll have something kind of kind of exclusive or or, or bragging rights for for four weeks or eight weeks or two months. You know, is that is that actually, um, you know, what what are we talking about here? You know, yeah, are, yeah. you know, are are are, are we just forcing people into the theater for the theatrical experience when the theatrical experience by all accounts is degraded. They, they, they don't have projectionists in 90% of these theaters. They, they're, they're, they're showing things at the wrong aperture. They're showing things at the wrong ball, ball <laughs> yeah. strength. They're, you know, the, they're, they're not blocking it correctly. And you go out and you complain and there's like one kid working the, the ticket stand and the popcorn machine and he could give a crap and it's all automated and he doesn't, he's like, you want your money back or what? You know, that that's the theatrical experience. <laughs> so, you know, we all have these great stories. We're, we're all movie guys, right? I saw Back to the Future. Oh, man. You know, everything yeah. changed. My world. Totally. Totally, totally, totally. But is that actually the experience? 90% of the time that you take your family to a movie. 100 bucks. Gone. Babysitter. After the movie. Mm-hmm. Parking. All this stuff. You, you get in there. You, you got your Twizzlers. You got your Junior Mints. You're, you're ready to go. Some idiot walks in. Starts talking to the whole thing and pressing his date. This guy is fighting. There, there, there's a weird smell. It, it's it, it's not, it's off center. Uh, the floors are sticky. That's the theatrical experience. So you know, we it's almost like the airline industry. We're, we're like mourning these industries. We have to subsidize them and everything. They got to mm-hmm. change. The, the, you know, the, the, if they want to be competitive, they they got to change. Well, that was very vivid, Walter, and I think that was all very accurate. I mean, uh, I, I can tell you guys more vivid stories from New York theaters if you, if you want to hear them. <laughs> well, but, isn't uh, the, it's isn't too early for ejaculate, I think. So, isn't the yeah. isn't the irony that the more people watch movies at home, the worse their behavior is at the movie theater? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Jeff, to answer your question, I think uh, uh, I am deeply ambivalent about it because, on the one hand. It's great to have more consumer choice. It's great that I get to watch The Green Knight at home, that more people will get to see this movie sooner that we reviewed here on the Filmcast. Um, but I, I listened to an interview that Barry Diller, former CEO of Paramount and the uh, the one of the founders of the Fox Broadcasting Company, gave to the business on KCRW. Yep. And he, he, he predicted that in the future, we will have 10% of the movie theaters we have today. Like the number of movie theaters... Uh, will be 10%. And whenever I see something like this happening, uh, which, by the way, seems unplanned. It doesn't seem like A24 was like, we're going to release The Green Knight three weeks you know, on Video On Demand mm-hmm. after it's out in theaters. I don't think that was like part of their plan. Whenever but I see something like this happening... they have the power to do it now. They can hit right. the, would like to po- the VOD would, button. Yeah. I would like to point out that at the beginning of the pandemic, I made the exact same prediction. <laughs> uh, 
I, pr- I predicted that mo- going to the movies is going to be like going to see a play. Yeah. That yeah, it's yeah. going to be a very rare instance that's extraordinarily expensive, but you you do it once in a blue moon because it's this big deal and you go and you do it mm-hmm. because there's a new Star Wars movie. There's some big thing that you care about. So you go to the movie and it's going to cost an arm and a leg, but you get the yeah, this yeah, yeah. grand IMAX type experience. I think that's what movie going is going to turn into. It's going to turn into this mm-hmm. very rare uh, thing. There's not going to be a movie theater on every corner. It's going to be right. yeah, yeah. a small but number of screens playing a let, small let, number of movies. Let's not forget. And you'll, you certainly remember this too, Walter and Jeff, like we did not have many movie theaters before the nineties, right? Before yeah, the right. multiplex era, things got crazy. They went, they went <laughs> overboard building yeah. these like multi-story monstrosities with 10, 20 screens. Um, Dude, so when I grew yeah, up, the biggest theater, in the, the yeah. biggest theater in my area had four screens. And we exactly. thought that was crazy that it had four screens. The closest most- theater to me in Hartford was a reconstructed barn. And we watched, <laughs> we watched the movies projected on the barn wall, basically. So, and yeah. the horses played piano when we watched yep. it. <laughs> I, I well, agree that it's this bizarre thing where the number of screens in the United States increased dramatically in the last 20 years. Yes. At the same time that that was happening, number of tickets sold flat or down, right? And so it's like we're building all these screens. The solution is more screens, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like that's not the solution. Like, uh, you know, it's many of the things that Walter was saying about mm-hmm. the experience. It's also the type of movies that get made, you know. So uh, anyway, Jeff. To, to, so f- fair point. We'll see if your yeah, yeah. prediction pans out. I don't. It's it's don't going to I, be more expensive. Like right, I think right, that's right. that's the main thing. They're already raising ticket prices. They're raising concession prices. So you're paying more for the same crappy experience right now already. Yeah, but the the to answer your original question is basically just that uh, whenever I see something like this happen, it feels like it's another step in that direction towards that future that um, I don't want. But it eventually, we'll be here. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how I feel about it. Does that answer Bring your question? Bring back the movie yeah. palaces. How about that? Like, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know, like, uh, here's the thing. When I say movie palace, that sounds legendary. And I don't think, I think a lot of people in America are used to, you know, the 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 big cinemaplexes and whatnot. But the movie palaces like New York City had, and as I lived there for 10 years, like three or four of them just died. But beautiful buildings, you know, red carpet, a single screen, showing like a, a single schedule of things and they're not open all the time and it's a little more expensive than normal but you go there and it's an experience um i saw the what is it, the force awakens at the very last screening uh at the zigfeld in new york city and that was an experience and i'm so sad that thing is now like you can rent that building to have parties in and the screen is just like there and Man, so sad i, I mean yeah. it Amen to that. I mean, you know, they, they would show some, they would show like the Wizard of Oz, a Radio City musical. Yep, yep. And, and then it would tour the country, right? It, it, it was like this thing. It was an event. It was great. And I, I don't want to like, you know, it, 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 it's it's already classist. We're already, you know, doing this stuff about who can afford the, you know, it's, yeah. that, that's the subject to all of it. But at the end of the day, there used to be some kind of like reverence for the stuff that we did. And there was a certain level of curation of it. And now it's just like as many screens as possible. Can we put the star Wars films on? We have 12 screens. Nine of them are showing star Wars. And it's like, what you're just trying to squeeze every last <laughs> ounce of, uh, uh, of money and life out of this thing. And they're just cranking out this product to be consumed in these places. And, you know, you talk about this explosion of screens and you know, the people that run these companies like AMC and the landmark and on and on, they, they are horrible people. They, they, it's, it's just, <laughs> you know, you, you, you look across corporate America, you're like, Hey, there's 
all these CEOs are sociopaths. You know, the, 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 the theatrical exhibition industry is not immune from that. You, you'll find individual places that are still curated with love, with care, whatever you feel about Tarantino, the new Bev is programmed with love and curated with that. Um, if we got back closer to that, hell yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Because what, what's really the point, you know, again, sort of crystallizing my, my point better than I could is what is the theatrical experience? Mm-hmm. What are we talking about? It's that curated experience, the Cinerama Dome, right? We're talking about that. We're not talking about going to, you know, the uh, Lakewood 30 and watching some piece of garbage pr- projected <laughs> the wrong way with three people making out in the back row. That's what we're talking about. Um, not not talking about when we say theatrical experience, and we haven't had that for a long time. I mean, Cinerama, yes, Cinerama Dome yeah. is dead. It died. It's, it's gone. Yeah, victim of COVID. It's a, th- this is a longer conversation. I say because I don't want I don't want to I don't want to completely besmirch the idea of multiplexes too because they were everywhere. But I've had so many great experiences in them. You know, I also did once they appeared in Hartford. That's where I went in high school. And I saw The Matrix. And I saw Unbreakable and I saw, you know, had these movie experiences with my family that were formative because I immediately left to go to college right after that, you know? So it's like, there is a way to balance this between the, like uh, the sheer lavishness of a movie house and maybe, maybe something, not the having too many screens, but something for people to congregate and watch things together. Because the other thing that we're not really talking about is uh, a lot of people aren't buying TVs, you know? Like people are watching these things on their laptops or mm. or, or even phones, yeah. iPads. So yeah. yeah, there there is a need for a bigger screen if there is no big screen in your house. Indeed, let's take a quick break. I have a couple more thoughts I want to share with you guys, and then we'll get to our reviews. It is time for me to tell you about our sponsor, Ferity Brand. You've probably heard me mention Ferity Brand before on the show, making the perfect clothes for summer. But I have just moved to Denver, Colorado, a completely new biome for me. Truly. I mean, I'm a California boy. I got clothes for summer. I'm excited about beefing up my wardrobe for fall and winter because guess what? I'm actually going to have seasons at my new house, unlike Los Angeles, where all I had was clothes for summer. So I've been on FaradayBrand.com looking at their incredible selection of warmer clothes. And you know what? I think I'm going to be a blazer guy. I was just browsing the Faraday brand website and their awesome outerwear. They got these really rad, like everyday blazers. I'm going to be that guy. I don't, it's not going to be a billion degrees at my house in late October and November. I'm going to be able to wear outerwear. That's why I'm excited about my blazer that I just ordered from Faraday brand. They have all kinds of great clothes, though. They do have clothes for summer. If you need some clothes for summer, for the the weekend barbecues, whatever you're doing these days, Faraday is a family-run brand making high-quality, timeless clothing with modern design and functionality. You know when you're searching for that ideal summer outfit or fall outfit or winter outfit? That set, that shirt, that dress that feels like you've had them for years. Maybe it's in a gorgeous print and it fits so perfectly that it feels almost too good to be vintage. It still looks like it might be. Well, that's Faraday. I'm telling you, you got to check out these clothes. It's going to upgrade my wardrobe in my new location. I'm so excited for that. And they are so confident 
in the quality of their stuff that they have a lifetime guarantee of quality. They'll replace or fix your clothes forever, no matter what. That's pretty amazing. And to top it all off, Faraday is giving all the Filmcast listeners 20% off. Wow, 20% off. So stock up on all your clothes for summer or fall or winter now. Head to FaradayBrand.com and use code Filmcast at checkout to snag 20% off all your summer gear. That's code Filmcast, F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T, at Faraday, F-A-H-E-R-T-Y, brand, B-R-A-N-D, dot com for 20% off. All right, folks. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention, I want to give some numbers behind what I was saying earlier. Um, between 2000 and 2020, number of screens in the United States went from 36,000 to 40,000. Uh, according right. to yeah. NATO, the National Association of Theater Owners, um, that number is up from, uh, let's say, 1990, when there was only 23,000 the- uh, screens, I should say, so not theaters, screens in the United States. Between 1995 and 2019, according to the no- the numbers.com, the number of movie tickets sold went from 1.2 billion to 1.2 billion. So despite the fact that the U.S. population exploded during that time, the number of tickets sold did not dramatically increase. So this is kind of what we're talking about in terms of like the business being pretty rough. That was pre-COVID when uh, before, you know, movie tickets took a huge dive uh, off a cliff. Um, But here's my question for you, Jeff. So let let me say, uh, agreed with everything you guys said, multiplexes brought movies to the masses and that's valuable, but also in the future, uh, as Jeff indicated, we're probably going to get a more premium experience and it's probably going to be more expensive. And I think that is in general kind of unfortunate, Uh, but we'll see, you know, maybe the experience will be better and that will be valuable. Here's the big question though, Jeff, that you, you asked me a question about how I feel about this. The big question for you is, are you going to give the Green Knight another chance? <laughs> uh, you know what? I've not even listened to that episode yet, and I think I'm just going to leave it unplayed. No <laughs> podcast player after I heard the, about this, Jeff. The greatest gift that Vacation ever gave us was that Devendra and I were not on the same episode at the same time talking about yeah, Green Knight. Yeah. <laughs> our friendship Indeed. survived because yes. of yes. Yes. So, so uh, Walter, for those who and Walter and those who are unaware, uh, Jeff Kanata decided the best time to see the Green Knight was at 11 p.m. after a long day of parenting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, the only time, the time I could you squeeze it sleepy. in. You know yeah. why, Dave? Because uh, the multiplex only had a few screenings that were convenient <laughs> for me. <laughs> well, in the future, it'll have even fewer screenings. But yeah. Uh, but yes. So not the ideal circumstances to see the movie. Well, the, and, you know, that, uh, that actually brings up another point about watching things at home. If you do mm-hmm. watch it on your phone, if you watch it on your laptop, if it's a bad movie, I confess. Yeah. My yeah. My, my, my attention wanders. It does. And there are many times that I've watched something that I just couldn't really follow, you know, pay attention to, that I would just rewind. I'd be rewinding this thing like the whole freaking time because it's so bad, right? (laughs) And so it's like, what happened? Where where did I go just now? When you're in a theater, it's just sort of like you're you're again, it's it's like, you know, Clockwork Orange. You're sort of forced to watch it. And you're forced to engage with it, you know, and that's not always a bad thing. Huh? You know, I, I, yeah, think, I agree yeah. with that. You, you know, the, 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 there are movies that just aren't obviously entertaining unless you watch every moment and everything in the frame. And then suddenly you're like, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. Look at the way that he uses it. It's, he's it, this is a genius. This is a genius film. But if you're watching it on your phone, you're not watching everything and you're, you're, you're getting a text message and it pops up, you know, and then you're getting like a, a email announced. You know, it's like. It, it, it changes essentially the way that we interact with films. And that's, 
you know, not to be all Chris Nolan about it, but that 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 can be a tragedy for some movies mm-hmm. that just sort of slip by, like The Green Knight, I think, which really demands a lot of attention. Um, Absolutely, I, yeah. I totally agree with that. I, and I think being trapped with a movie and being unable to add a second screen and see what's going on on Twitter right now while the movie is slow, I think is is a huge boon to the art form. Um, so yes, I, I don't think it is without drawback that we have more options, but. Certainly at this moment of my life, I am grateful to have the option to see things at home and not have to venture out. So Absolutely. And who knows, oh, totally. who knows what the world yeah. is going to look like in a couple of years too. Like, guys, I have tested out some 5K VR headsets. And uh, let me tell you, the screens, they're getting smaller and they're getting higher res. And we make those things not so bulky, you know, and turn them into basically glasses that project a giant screen, you know, within your field of view, but not block everything out. That's going to be game changing. That's going to be the yeah. point where I'm like, oh, I I can just sit here and see a front row experience, you know, wherever I am. Or be inside the movie. Exactly. Well, that, that's your thing, Jeff. You're really, <laughs> Jeff, you're really uh, into uh, pasting your head into movies. Yeah. Jeff, uh, still not hearing an answer to my question about Green Knight. What do you, what do you think? What do you think? You know, you're going to give this one another chance? Huh? Uh, you're going to give it another, another chance? Uh, I, I'm shaking my... my Eight ball right now and signs point yeah. to no. Jeff, Jeff you just okay. went on a quest to uh, really, really prove yourself as a father, you know, mm-hmm. and as a man. And yes. uh, maybe, maybe this movie will will hit you differently. You know, it's all about that. It's all about masculinity. Yeah, no i i didn't I didn't not appreciate the film. I, I thought it was gorgeous. I just uh, found it mind-numbingly slow it's fine uh, so I, it's fine I found, yeah all right well, well wait wait until uh, we review my dinner with andre jeff just um, <laughs> i mean i'm really i'm really glad you found that movie mind-numbingly slow because why don't we get to our review of pig <laughs> i'm looking for a truffle pig someone star i don't understand tell me you are you made the right choice being out there in the woods there's nothing here for you anymore. There's really nothing here for most of us. Buy yourself a new pig. What are you thinking? I remember every meal I ever cooked. I remember every person I ever served. You live your life for them. And they don't even see you. You don't even see yourself. That was from the trailer for Pig, the newest film by Michael Sarnofsky. Uh, I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. A truffle hunter who lives alone in the Oregonian wilderness must return to his past in Portland in search of his beloved foraging pig after she is kidnapped. I am so curious about what everyone on this podcast thinks about this movie, but why don't we start with Walter Chaw, who indicated that this is one of his favorite movies of the year. Walter, Woo! why did you love this movie so much? Um, I love it because ultimately I think it's about uh, love. It's about things that you are passionate about. There's a really beautiful line in it um, where uh, you know the, the Nick Cage character says something like, you know, it's very there, there aren't a lot of things you get in the in your life to love like this to be passionate about like this and i think about that sometimes when i wonder you know as everyone in this room would wonder why we've shoehorned ourselves into this 
profession. And, you know, this art form of all things, it's, it's certainly thankless uh, for the most part. It's hard to make a living at. All of us have had second jobs. It's, you know, it, it's why <laughs> do we keep coming back to this? And you, 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 you know, you're it was, uh, us as movie podcasters. Is that what you're describing? Well, as, as film critics, you know, yeah, just, yeah. just as, you know, creating a career around, but what is it that draws you back? And just this exploration in this film about passion mm-hmm. and about the things that people are passionate about and the links that people will go to continue to do that. And the things that happen to you, when you neglect it um and and you know that 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 that's the moment where you know i don't want i can't spoil it but late but but you know mid to late in the in the in the film i really it really turned on for me that this is what it was about that everything that i brought into the movie thinking that it was about all of a sudden it was clear to me okay in a moment of not violence but kindness uh the dick cage character speaks to this other character and says what were your dreams before you did this thing Hmm. that's not real and you look around you and all the people in your life that love you right now, none of them are real because they're chasing this thing that you're pretending to like. What happened to the thing that you did like? And that for me was really kind of, uh, you know, we've we, we've all of people of a certain age um, had to make these decisions for our, our lives, I think. And uh, yeah, it really moved me. And the way that it was, uh, it, it's, it's also a beautiful film. It's also superbly acted. Um, I, I, I like patience and I, I, I have to admit, I like movies that are surprising to me now. I feel like I watch movies and they're not surprising and I get irritated, but movies that are consistently doing something that I don't completely entirely expect. And, you know, Ted Lasso does me the same way. It's like, I can't believe you're making Mm -hmm. this decision right now. And it's, uh, yeah, it's always the right one. All right. Devinder Hardwar. What did you think of pig? Uh, you know, I, I found it really slow. Um, it's not quite the movie I expected. Uh, I was expecting another Mandy, you know. Um, it is not quite the John Wick. I think a lot of people thought it would because that is the setup of this movie. And that is why I think it's absolutely brilliant. I love this movie as well. I, I think it is um, it is a stunning work of patience and also like it's doing so many things, right? It is sort of like taking the revenge thriller setup and uh, spinning it on a 10 a bit. Um, I almost did the taken, you know, quote for, for my opening thing at the beginning of this uh, and be like, you have my pig return my pig. Um, Because that, that is the energy that he's going through here, but without the, like without the, and there there are things I'm not going to say that could spoil this, but there's violence in this movie, right? There is machismo in this movie but at the heart of it, Nicolas Cage is a broken character who is just fighting for the only thing he loves in this world. And I found that absolutely beautiful. And this movie also really reckons with um, things like high cuisine, you know, the really the chef's table genre of uh, foodiness that's going on right now and has been a thing for a long while. Um I find it kind of fascinating how it's doing that. Like it's, it's not, it's not saying anything truly new there because there have always been people saying like this stuff, you are just being hoity toity. Does anybody care about, um, you know, uh, liquid nitrogen food or, you know, really unique modern food or something? Are you actually enjoying what you're eating here? That argument has existed for a while. Uh, this, you know, it's, it's like the Bourdain thing of really talking about, uh, bringing food down to earth that is at the heart of this movie. But yeah, I agree completely with Walter. This movie is entirely about love and about fighting for the things you love, what can happen to you if you lose sight of that. And um, 
there are things I can bring to like I can bring up here, but I think I'll wait for spoilers because I'll put this out there. This movie is about anybody who has been in like a high pressure creative career or really any career. It is about that that idea of fighting for yourself and making a name for yourself and at times literally fighting to make a name for yourself, you know, and it resonated with me in that respect. Um, so, yeah, uh, let's let's get to spoilers for that stuff. But I'm yeah. interested to hear what you think, Jeff. Jeff Kanata, your thoughts on Pig? Well, Dave, <laughs> I guess you could say my thoughts on Pig are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Excellent. A film that is hard to define, vague and ponderous by design. It proved effective and made me reflective when I transposed something else in for swine. Aww. Interesting. Uh, that was pretty good. Also, I gotta say, Jeff, I kind of expected you to hate this movie. Based Especially on, after the Green Knight Based stuff, on the Green Knight okay, okay, thing. I'm good, like, okay, good. this is even slower than that movie. Well, you know? well much shorter. 91 yeah, minutes, much shorter. folks. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm down for this for 91 minutes. For mm-hmm. two hours and 25 minutes? I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah, no, fair, fair. Um, you, you, the, the the comparisons to John Wick are interesting to me. I, I do think this movie is John Wick. It's John Wick if instead of shooting people in the face, <laughs> he's giving them emotional moments. Mm, he's, yes. he's injecting emotion into people who are deadened. Right, this it's it's the inverse of John Wick. He is instead of killing, he's bringing them to life rather yes, than killing them. Yeah, exactly. And he does it in a variety of different ways, uh, but each time it is sort of a sacrifice of himself to provide someone mm-hmm. and a, a a funnel of emotion. Uh, he he that, is. We we just reviewed the Last Temptation of Christ, and it feels like he is very much a Jesus figure. In this movie, yeah. Absolutely, especially that, you know, he is, his his condition throughout the movie does not change in the mm-hmm. sense that, you know, there's no moment where he, like, takes a shower. You know, it's very, it's, it is, it very much feels like uh, a Jesus of Nazareth, you know, walking and, and enduring something over the course of a, a period of time. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it is, it's a, it's a movie called Pig and it ain't about the pig. Uh, it's about whatever your pig is. It's about a stand-in for pig and trying to uh, understand what the, the pig is for you. I don't think the movie completely works all the time. I think it is. Um, it is a little. It it, it does it 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 sort of presents itself as being uh, a realistic movie but it is it is as dreamlike as green knight it oh, is, absolutely yeah it is creating a magical realism that yeah. is not grounded in, in any sort of reality i think uh but it doesn't present itself that way it's not it, green knight you know that's it's obviously that because it is in a fantastical world uh this there is sort of a you know, on the, on its face reading of the movie that makes really no sense and i think that if you would try to interpret it like that you will probably be frustrated by the film but it isn't working on that level it's it is working in metaphor and um you know but it very much is playing in that john rick wick way where you know it's a guy who's 
whose name means something to other people in this subculture. And, you know, there are secret things that are, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, only known by a certain few, the, the vast majority of the world is not privy to. And it's, it's interesting, the parallels to John Wick, but it is, it is about, as Walter said, sort of injecting love and emotion into other people and doing it as a, as a form of, of sacrifice. It is a pain. It is, you know, this character that Nicolas Cage plays must be uh, injured in order to experience that, must be mm-hmm. wrung out in order to uh, take people, other people into a different modality. Um, and I thought it was, I thought it was an interesting movie. I, I don't think it's my favorite movie of the year, but it certainly landed on me in a interesting way. And as I said in the limerick, it, I have thought about it since and uh and i any movie that does that to me uh i will i respect so i, I enjoyed it you know i think My, it's really interesting that you're bringing up the green knight because both of these movies are mytho- myths you know mythologizing masculinity yeah in, in certain ways and, and and unpacking masculinity in other ways and you know i i mentioned ted lasso that's another one you have sort of a a, a sports coach mm. um and and the, there there's this reinterpretation of what mythology uh, of what masculinity ought to be uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh you know what is actually courageous what is actually um sacrifice what is actually strength and you know is is it punching someone in the face and sort of this weird fight club thing or or is it um in, in enduring it mm, and not right. returning that is it is it returning kindness instead and saying you know i'm not going to shoot up this house i'm going to you know i, I i'm going to give you a memory back of of a time when you weren't so broken and that's powerful stuff especially Mm -hmm. i think in the modern conversation where we're dealing with these these literal eruptions of of toxic masculinity not to use all this vernacular that's going to get hate mail but you know at the end of the day here we're talking about uh, a movie and you know honestly you guys i didn't find this to be slow you know i i i i I, I get it. It's not traditionally plotted. There's not like the rises and falls or whatever, but boy, I was really gripped. And that might just say something about mm-hmm. me, but you know, for me, I, I, I've, I've never seen a good movie that was too long and I've never seen a bad movie that was too short. <laughs> and, and so <laughs> yes. you know, when, when I'm watching, I think that's an like, Ebert quote, I believe. Yeah, right? is it? yeah, 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 it's perfect. And, and it's like, when I'm watching pig, I feel like I kind of want to be in this movie for longer. I, I would yeah, love to yeah. be here for three hours or five hours. Cause it doesn't feel like I, I just want to go here. Um, and it, it, with all its ugliness and there's stuff that's like, you know, but that's, I felt, you know, and I felt like that about writers of justice too, a movie I didn't like as well as a lot of people, but I love the world and the people that it's populated with. And I could have done another, I could have done a season of that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the, it, 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 I think you make a great point about, um, how it, it's positioned. I don't know if this was intentional uh, in the film, but it certainly almost feels like a direct response to John Wick and its ilk. You know, it feels like, you know, hey, here's another way to think about being a hero, being a, you know, the, the ultimate masculine uh, representation of revenge or whatever. It, it's just like, it's, it's the response to that. It's, it's, and I, I really appreciated that because as much as the John Wick films are fun and I've enjoyed them, I've always left each of them going, man, I don't know how I feel about this, honestly. Mm. Uh, and I've reflected that in all the reviews we've done, in, in particularly the first one. Um, 
So it's because in some ways it is a celebration of toxic masculinity. You know? It's a fetishization yeah. of toxic yeah. masculinity. It, it is, you know, this. You know, each of those movies came out. I think in a week when there was a big mass shooting, which yeah is not hard to accomplish because yeah. almost every week pre-COVID was. But um, so it always felt a little hard for me to fully enjoy the escapism that those movies presented and to have this movie feel like this almost direct response to that and to say, hey, you know what? There's another side to this coin. That's my biggest takeaway and, and one of the reasons I appreciated this movie so much. The only scene in Rise of Skywalker that didn't break my heart was <laughs> the scene where Ray pulls out something or a thorn out of the serpent that's yeah. guarding the hole because now now you're in a, sort of a subterranean place like Empire Strikes Back you're um presented with a trial it's a, it, it's mythology it's the green knight and instead of choosing to slay the dragon which is what the rest of the film does it's just the John Wicket you know we're going to kill hundreds of thousands of slaves on these ships hooray you know uh it's, instead of doing that for this one moment in that really terrible movie um she showed kindness and that 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 was powerful. And, you know, to, to your point, Jeff, it's like, it, it means something to me to see movies like this, mm-hmm. you know, to yeah. say, here's this alternate possibility for conflict. I'll just say a couple quick words and then I'd love for us to get the spoilers because there's more to dive into. Uh, I liked the movie. I can't say I enjoyed it as much as everyone else on the podcast. And honestly, one of my goals for doing this episode of the podcast was, I just want you guys to tell me why this movie is good. And I'm cool with that. You know, I'm cool I, with like learning from you, yeah. you know, and, and hearing like what your reasoning is. Um, uh, briefly, I'll just say it, it, it felt too slow for me, you know, like it was very <laughs> ponderous and uh, there was many, there were many scenes where, you know, not much action was happening. And I don't mean action like, fighting or killing i mean just like literal events occurring um and i felt like with the green knight that movie was able to sustain that style of storytelling because it was so gorgeous and because every shot felt so meticulously planned out and this one just did not strike me in the same way it this movie had what i felt were moments of brilliance which you guys have really alluded to and there are definitely a handful of scenes that I'm going to continue to think about because they reflect on my life as well. But as a whole, the movie didn't quite work for me. And I, you know, I went in expecting this would be a movie that I love. This would be one of my favorite movies of the year. And, you know, in the first 15 minutes, it it really still had a chance to be that, I think. But then I felt like uh, it, it, it slowed down to an extent that uh, was too much for me personally to handle. I but I'm glad it really worked for you guys. I don't know how the word slow applies here, right? Because is it is it just because he's he is walking around for a lot without saying anything? <laughs> That's the yeah, beginning yeah. of the movie. But every scene tells you something about the character, about you know, about Nicolas Cage's character or the people he's with, or the way he relates to other people, or something. Like to me, everything felt meaningful. This movie is so short. It is so short. I don't, I don't know. Like, is I want, it, Hey man, I wanted yeah. to love it. I'm glad you love it. I don't have any, you know, no, no, no bad words to say about, you know, your, yeah. your comments about the movie. It just didn't quite work for me in the way that I would have liked. I this just, is, I, this I'm is just exa- wondering about the slow word. That's all. Yeah. It's exactly my position about green Knight. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm so glad people love it. And I yeah. kind of, I kind of can see why other people love it. Yeah. It just was just too slow for me. I mean, it's all it's, yeah. you could apply almost exactly everything you said 
for sure for, for me sure. to green night but i did not realize jeff that you had seen that movie at 11 p.m. <laughs> after taking care of kids at a yeah. time where your body is just like, for the love of God, just let me die. You chose to go see The Green Knight. It's very true. Maybe it's it would hit deep. differently if you had some coffee with you or, I, you know, something. I, yeah. I, you haven't heard the episode, but uh-huh. I definitely prefaced everything I said about that movie with, this is totally my fault. I'm <laughs> this fully is a aware. Good idea. Yeah. Yeah. I'm fully aware that in retrospect, this was the worst possible way I could have seen this movie, but so, yep. such yep. as it was, you know. Uh, I also want to ask you, Dave, did you feel at all attacked by this movie? Uh, because I, uh, yes. I do feel like this movie directly hits things you love. <laughs> well, Pigs. let's talk about. <laughs> Let's talk about yeah. that in spoilers. So, but yeah. I'm, 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 I, I want to talk about that more in spoilers. So, th- this is going to conclude the non-spoiler section of this review. See the pig. CBD isn't about what you feel; it's about what you don't feel, and that includes things like stress, anxiety, and pain. I've been using CBD for a while now when I'm feeling anxious or sleepless or just need a little help uh, just relaxing a bit. And I found Feels to be the best CBD company I've seen yet. It's a better way to feel better. Feels is a premium CBD company that will help to clear your head and help you feel your best. It's delivered right to your door and it's pretty hassle-free too. CBD naturally helps reduce stress, pain, anxiety, and sleeplessness. The best thing is that there's no hangover or addiction. I found it really useful to take some CBD before, you know, a very stressful live show or something big happening with work. It just generally helps me relax a bit. You just have to place a few drops of feels under your tongue and you'll feel a difference in a few minutes. The thing to remember about CBD is that finding your right dose is important and you'll probably want to try out a few different doses. So Feels offers a free CBD hotline to help guide your experience so that you can find the perfect dose. Basically, joining Feels monthly membership makes it easy to take care of yourself, and you'll save money in every order, and you can pause or cancel at any time. Start feeling better with Feels. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash filmcast, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash filmcast to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash filmcast. Let's get to our spoilers for Pig. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret, man. You want to be fooled. So I the moment that was the favorite moment in the movie for me was the one that Walter alluded to of like him having the conversation with that chef at Eurydice. Is that the name Mm -hmm. of the restaurant? Yes. Yeah. Uh, And he, he basically says like, I I mean, essentially it's a reflection on like the meaninglessness of many of our ambitions. Right. And how uh, this guy had this thing that he really loved, but instead he went chasing after the stuff that was popular or that would make him money or that could be more easily commodified. Yeah. And that's definitely something that's hit home for me, you know, as somebody who, has tried really hard to balance my passions with uh, a full-time job in the corporate world. Um, it's it, it, that, that part really spoke to me and that's, that's really going to stay with me. Yeah. Love, um, I love that, that that restaurant is called Eurydice, by the way, because it's like, it is, it is entirely his failed quest, you know, to live up to, to uh, make his dream come true. So he names it after Orpheus and Eurydice, of course. Mm, yeah. Mm. I, I, I want to uh, shout out that actor 
who is playing opposite Nicolas Cage in that scene because his performance will not be, it will not be what people talk about, but it absolutely makes that scene. Yes. Because Nicolas Cage is like this contained laser into, uh, into his heart. And he is so perfectly on point, uncomfortable, but trying to make the best of it. And and like his, the way he plays that scene is exquisite and he has very small amount of screen time in this film, but makes mm-hmm. the most of it. And I would, I was really impressed by that. It's a smile that kind of like turns into tears. Yeah. You, you can know, see it, so much behind it. There is this crushed yeah. soul that is hidden behind this facade. It, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. amazing. The actor is David Nell. And he's a character actor who's been uh, in Hollywood for many decades. So very, very good um, stuff. Uh, Devendra, uh, you had said this. This hits at many things that I love. What were you referring to? Just uh, love of classical music, love of <laughs> high cuisine, love of you know. It, it's just I'm not like making fun of you here. I just find it. Yeah, yeah, it's no, really no, it's funny. It, the fuck Seattle is literally a line <laughs> yeah, literally in this movie. I I think that I will say uh, on a serious note that the events of the last couple of years uh, have really made me reevaluate um, mm-hmm. many of my habits and stances on um, on being a foodie or, mm-hmm. you know, being really into like high-end food experiences because I, I, I guess I just feel like there's been so much that's come out about how many of these places are toxic in work environments uh-huh. and uh, how the people are overworked, underpaid and how in some ways it's like quite abusive. And, and basically like, you know, you go to one of these restaurants, you pay $250, $300. And I don't think that is enough. Like that, that is not enough for all mm-hmm. the people involved in putting together that meal to uh, make a decent living in, mm-hmm. in my, from what I can tell. But the, the, and, there's that, but I'm also talking about like the, the culture yes, behind no, it. The culture as well, right. The yeah, culture behind it, the, the dialogue around it. I lived in New York for over 10 years, guys, and I wanted to do that. I wanted to go to all the cool places, but uh, that shit's expensive. I was a freelancer for a long time, not making much money like that. That made it tough. So that it, a lot of things kind of turned me off and like by the point where i could go to one of these places for one or two times a year it never felt comfortable it never felt it never felt like i was getting what i saw you know on uh, a food show or something like mm-hmm. the stuff i see on tv it never felt real in a way it, uh, it's like i was looking through the facade of it all i'm like why am i spending a hundred dollars or something for a meal with undercooked quail I don't even like <laughs> quail. Yeah, um, I, I, I think everything yeah. you're saying is right, and I'm also saying like even that I feel like um, is is not. There's there's many mm-hmm. industries. Like one thing that I feel like COVID has shown us is there's many industries where we grossly underpay people. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say like doctors and nurses. I would say grocery store workers. Teachers. I would say service workers. You know what I mean? Like teachers. All, yes, teachers. Right. Teachers, like all these yeah. people are like grossly underpaid and treated really badly by society and. Um, and COVID has amplified that. And so even the expensive meals, I feel like mm-hmm. are, are, we're still underpaying them, you know, like, Absolutely. so, so anyway, it, it, there's many layers to this, but yeah, I, I agree that in some mm-hmm. ways, uh, it, it, it's definitely not a celebration of foodie culture this movie. No, right? it's, it's a, definitely, it, is a, it well, rips it apart in a way, but yeah, well, I, I, you know, I'm not sure that it does rip it apart. Does it? I, I feel like there's, uh, uh, you know, because it, it, it it's food that 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 is the the, the portal 
for, yeah. for the bad guy, Adam Markin, back to a better part of his life. They, this movie's you know, Ratatouille. It is. You know? It is. And, and yeah. the uh, the uh, quote that I used at the beginning is from uh, from Ratatouille. Ratatouille. You, mm-hmm. you know. You know. But yeah, um, but but th- that meal though, Walter, is not like molecular gastronomy though, right? No, that no. meal yeah. is like a very simple one prepared with few ingredients. And so if, I, I don't know. I guess. But, that's what, if it were, like that's, but yeah. what if it were molecular gastronomy? But 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 the the, the difference is he's really into it. Like he, mm-hmm. the, it, right. this is really his true expression, right? It's like you know his 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 favorite instrument is the tuba, and he uh, plays it beautifully. He you know like Orpheus, he he, he brings tears to to uh, you know the, the the pantheon of the underworld by playing the flugelhorn, whatever it is. You gotta love it, and I think that's what Pig ultimately is about. It isn't so much an indictment of of, of Ho Cuisine, so much as it's an indictment of this guy, mm-hmm. really just wanting to open a, a pub and serve you know Scotch eggs made with liver or whatever you know. But which, by the way, that sounded gross. By the way, I just want to yeah, put that. that sounds, yeah. uh, I'm it, sorry, that sounds amazing. Have you guys it, ever had curried fries and put a Scotch great. egg to that? Yeah, but, but would, you know, I, yeah. But I believed that if he made it, it would have mm-hmm. been amazing. There have been so many meals that I've had where I'm like, I would not eat this normally. Yes. But here we are. And I'm going to try it because I know the chef is amazing and this is what he specializes in. So give it very to true, me. Very true. Very true. Give yes. it to me. Mm-hmm. And yes. so, so, so that's what I think ultimately. That's not so much an indictment of that culture, but rather an indictment of people who are faking it. For yes, some kind of like you know, it's the uh, it. yeah, 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 no. yeah for, for some, some kind of esteem, right? And I think that's, that's a great, that's a great, that's a great nuance to draw out, mm-hmm. right? It's not like all you know, all this high end cooking is bad. It's more like pursuing something that is not your passion and doing it for other people is bad. Mm-hmm. Is that is that kind of a fair summary, Walter? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you know, I, I I've watched enough seasons of those cooking shows, Top Chef and stuff, to know there's always the gastrol, you, you know, the 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 uh, the the scientist, right? The the guy who's with the the, the nitrogen and all this stuff, and he's going to thicken things with those, those chemicals. And, um, but but it's like, if you love it, if you're a genius, I don't care what instrument you play if you're a genius at it, right? And so, you know, I think really that's what this is about is like, it's like a lot of people want to, a lot of people could play the notes, but very few people hear the music. And so let's, mm-hmm. you know, everyone can cook, but not everyone should cook. And and I think, uh, you know, I think that's about the, this. the central yeah. metaphor of the truffle yes. pig, right? Is the, <laughs> this thing that, in for some in unscrutable in some unscrutable way can find the thing that nobody else can find right that that sorts through the muck and finds this gem that is beautiful and delicious and valuable and we find out that the pig was never the reason that he found the truffles he was able to mm-hmm. find the truffles with the trees and i think that is his sort of you know godlike ability his his savior complex is, is he is in touch with those senses in in a way that others are not and mm-hmm. i think that he is this messiah drawn back into society to then give the gift of being more in touch with your senses to everyone that he comes into and contact in touch with. with nature and and whatnot and I, it's not just food that this movie is talking about i think what's really by the time they get to the fight club i'm like <laughs> oh my god this movie this movie is about everything. This movie is about like me moving to New York and fighting tooth and nail to like make a place for myself in the world of media where literally fighting for jobs or working with other people can feel like an actual fight club uh, to make a name for yourself. And Jeff, this is this is you in acting. This is right. this is like any industry where you're trying to get attention. And a lot of times the people that succeed are the ones that sell out and are phony about it. But they they do what people want. Right. 
and it rises them to a certain level of success. So I found that to be certainly an element of it here too in this movie. But yeah, there's so much, there's so much going on. Is can can I ask you guys yeah. a question? This is what I'm curious about. First of all, a, a basic plot question. I didn't really comprehend what was going on in the fight club. Like he kind of puts his hands behind his back and then <laughs> just takes abuse. Yes. Is it, was that, that's what, what he was everybody signing up does. to do? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we saw the guy before him do the, the same thing, right? People pay to kick the shit out of people that have a good name. Mm-hmm. It's, I see. It, it is, it is a, it's metaphorical, but also it's this idea that all I want to do is kick the shit out of my boss. Right. <laughs> and here's a place right. where you can do that you if can you pay do enough that money. Legitimately, yeah. yeah. So um, here's my question. Like, the, the tone of the movie I just thought was, like... I'm I'm confused as to what I'm supposed to be feeling because you have Adam Arkin's character being like, you know, I'll give you 25,000 and otherwise I'm going to like cook this pig, you know, in, in the most brutal way possible. He's basically being, you know, a villain from a John Wick movie, but he, yes. the dude's a chef, yes. you know? And I'm like, is this supposed to be so over the top that it's funny? You know, like he's, he's not a chef. He's the truffle salesman. Sure, sure. Like wh- whatever he is, he's in the food industry, but he's obviously it's very. But he is he's literally he is not in right? the creation of it. He is in the milking exploitation from yeah. it. That is very important. Well, I guess my my question is like, is this supposed to read as over the top that they're like they're you know kidnapping this pig and like making threats, or is this supposed to feel like no, no, no. grounded well, and real? Yeah, you, correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah. my understanding is that uh, at the beginning of the movie, we are to think that the pig is valuable because the pig can yes. find very valuable yes. truffles yes. and they are kidnapping the pig in yes. order to use the pig's superpower, which is find truffles. But what we then find out is that he fucked even that up mm-hmm. and they accidentally kill the pig. So he's not, he's not threatening to kill the pig. He's saying, let me have the pig for $25,000 walk away. And we're supposed to think he's going to use the pig to find the truffles for himself so he can right, cut out the right, middleman right, and make right, more right. money. But what actually happened is he's trying to just save face because mm. the pig was dead the whole time. Love and it. he doesn't want to yeah. admit that he is so bad at what this he guy does. This so put together. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, he, yeah, He does everything right. You know, he fucked That all up. sounds right to me. That all sounds right to me. But I guess like this mm-hmm. is a movie about a truffle hunting pig where there's like underground fight clubs and, you know, sure. people threatening other people I, uh, for this, for the pig. Well, so my, my question is, it's is not this about tone, the pig. <laughs> sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, is the, is the tone meant to be over the top, like a John Wick movie? Or are we supposed to think like, this is how, this world actually functions, I don't, I don't know. and no. it's a gritty no. kind of recreation of it. How I think much it's more Greenlight, can dude. this movie shout at you, Dave? Like that's the thing. Like I'm saying, like by the time they get to a Fight Club, we're like, oh, we are in Bonkersville, right? This is right. this that, is that, basically that was my the hotel too. From I'm like, oh John wow, Wick. this is supposed yeah. to be over the top and kind yes, of like yes. almost like arch, you know, in, sure. in, in its depiction. But I I don't know. It, it didn't <laughs> it didn't rise to the level where I was like. You know, it, it didn't "quote unquote" go all the way and go over the top, in my opinion. Um, after that fight club scene, I think like after that, that fight club scene, scene I feel like did. it's actually quite grounded for the rest of the. Well, film. I think that's kind of so, what I was talking about mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. when I was when I was kind of reviewing the movie. Is is that I think there's a, a certain viewer that will uh, try to make sense of this the the literal interpretation of what's right, happening, right. and the movie is not working on that level at all. I don't yeah, think I, I'm not again. Yeah, I'm not it's, even it's, trying to say like this needs to be literal. I'm just, I'm just trying to figure out what it's trying to do. You know, like I think Walter, it's just, you have just, just, just just I think it's being a, a metaphor. It's being a mythology. It's it's the Orpheus and Eurydice, right? Where th- things are happening in the underground. Things are the, the thing that's most valuable. Is something that you bring up from the underneath. 
and and, and what he does in that scene with the with Chef Finley is like he says he's bringing up things from the underneath. The way that mm-hmm. he he addresses Adam Arkin is he's excavating something from underneath. It's all this, I think, metaphor for self discovery and, and, and introspection. Um, and and you know it, it's it's. Uh, uncanny it it, it 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 doesn't function as a literal piece i think you know it's like so much of hitchcock's work it doesn't really function as literal like notorious or north by northwest it doesn't really make sense if you take a second right but it 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 it, it functions on a different setting it's like you're saying okay now now here's a ship called hades and then here's a you know here here's a place called um olympus and here's a you know it's it's Mm-hmm. It's a metaphor for something yeah. else, and it's pretentious as fuck, and it's all those things, right? Um, and if it works, if you if you're willing to dance with it, I think it works superbly as that. As this is the journey of the hero. This is every Mel Gibson movie, like Lethal Weapon, where he gets the crap absolutely beaten out of him. He's even hung up on a on a string, right? He is the Christ figure in every one of his movies, Mad Max, and he comes back, and he's the savior of a people. He's, you know, it, that this is the metaphor. And if you're going, you know, you go to the belly of the beast, you get the call of the hero, you, 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 you meet the sorceress, you, you go through all of these stages of this Joseph Campbell garbage, right? And you, you, you finally get to this place, but here's a film like the green Knight again, where it's sort of trying to honor those things. It's like, okay, here's the mortification of the hero. Here's the, you know, reconstitution of the flesh. Here's the invitation for um, um, mass. You're going to take the flesh and you're going to drink the wine, the blood, and you're going to take it into the, the true religion into you, which is the breaking of bread with, with you know, the, the most intimate and basic of human uh, functions other than sex. And so now you have the film that's talking about a very essential primal experience that doesn't, you know, and it's, it's, it's in the world of whole cuisine. Um, but, you know, we've seen it in the world of, of Tatooine, we've, we've seen it kind of pasted onto mm-hmm, other things. Mm-hmm. And ultimately to, 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 to just point, it's really, and I know you're not saying this, but it's not about the pig really. It's about, you know, what are these animals that are chthonic that dig in the dirt? And what is it that they bring up from the dirt? And what are we, if not clay? And what is it that we bring up when we dig in ourselves? And so I think ultimately it can work on that metaphorical level. It doesn't work on the John Wick level. <laughs> John, yeah. Wick, John Wick barely works at the John Wick level. Right? <laughs> um, no, I think that's yeah. a great explanation, Walter. And yeah, the idea of interpreting it as metaphor, but not some kind of satire or over-the-top depiction of this underworld uh that makes a lot of sense to me so thanks for uh thanks for clarifying yeah. that i mean over the over to th- the top thing would be mandy basically right taking that that idea to the like uh camp extreme in a way and yeah yeah doing uh, yeah. really great work with that too i think there's so much of what works in that movie is still here in this movie which is what's amazing and uh this movie by the way nick cage damn fine actor you know <laughs> uh, i think agreed. we forget that sometimes. Oh, so some of his best oh, work in a, in a long time so good. so yeah. Um, well, you know, gents, uh, I appreciate it. This, um, I think you've helped me understand this movie a little bit better, and uh, I'm, I'm going to revisit it at some point uh, with with new eyes. Any other thoughts on, on the ending of this movie? I think it was very powerful. You know, um, when he mm-hmm. cooks that meal, and then it's the big reveal occurs that the pig has passed away, and um, <laughs> it was, yeah, it's it's a uh, it, it's a, an emotional gut punch, and uh, I appreciate it. But curious if you guys had any thoughts on it. What, what, what I think is really re- re- remarkable about you, Dave, is is you saying that because I think when we watch movies and or we take in any kind of art, it, it, it's really tempting just to say that I'm right about this and not examine what your biases might be, like like Jeff did with the Green Knight and said, you know, I thought it would be really <laughs> slow, but 
you know, I was up to you know, 14 hours. It's really hard to have a baby and, and we're moving and this is all very difficult. I don't have all my stuff yet. And, you know, and here's that qualifier knowing that those are his biases, but we're always laden with biases that we don't know. Right. The, that's the nature of biases. They're invisible to us. And so if we don't like something, you know, that, that then it's really challenging to ever examine why it might be that we don't like something that, that, that isn't obviously upsetting. Right. Um, and, and so for you to do that is awesome. And I think that's the basis of any good conversation about art is to say, look, it's, it, you know, or like Rogue One, I, I'm just a Star Wars guy now, I guess, but like Rogue One really meant a lot to me <laughs> because it has depictions of Asian people in this universe. And that I've been waiting for that since I was for 40 years now. Um, and other people will come in and say, oh, the plot and oh, the reshoots and oh, this is like, but you're not listening to what I'm saying because you're blinded by what your bias is, which is you're, you've just always been the center of this universe. I'm saying that means something to me that you're not anymore. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's cool, man. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I think that lots of people love this movie and I'm like, mm, it didn't quite work for me. And so part of this podcast is like, I'm interrogating it. Why didn't it work for me? I'm trying my best to explain why it didn't work for me. You guys are trying your best to explain why it did work for you guys. And I think uh, we're, we're, we're trying to meet in the middle a little bit. So I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I thought the ending was great, um, and really powerful and, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it, it moved me like many, many other parts of this movie moved me, even though overall on first viewing, the movie didn't work for me, but yeah. I um, loved, uh, the moment where they first go to that other truffle lady and, yes. and they're like, yeah. uh, yeah. they, we, what kind of pig was it? It's a truffle pig. She's like, motherfucker. No, yeah, she, she just she like, gets so mad. It's the best. It's like, don't mess violation. with my truffle pig business. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, uh, I just love the casting of her and how you just completely expect that scene to go the opposite way that it goes. You know, she's so on board immediately to help them. It's like, I've never seen that play out like that. What was a little bit weird to me was the scene after that where they go visit the actual people that had assaulted Nick Cage. And yeah. he's just kind of like, yes, he's they're not ultimately responsible for the pig being kidnapped, but like he felt oddly cool with being in the same room as them. He's that Messiah character. He's like... He is approaching it with a singular love. Uh, he wants the pig. He's he's he is not about revenge. It is right. it, it's it is a it was very interesting to me that that I had the same thought as you, but I then I, it forced me to sort of reckon with that. Like what yeah. what is, what is he doing there in that moment? Just standing there with his assaulters, going. But where's the pig now? But he was he wasn't like it, it's it's really important. He wasn't even looking at them. Right. Right. He was behind the wall, you know, almost like uh the the ghost uh, right behind them. And I, I almost wonder, like to me, it was him like restraining himself in a way, because it's like if I if I actually confronted those people after what they they took my damn pig, I don't know what I'm gonna do. So I'm gonna stay over here to keep things, you know, at least somewhat kosher. Um, all that felt really deliberate to me. Yeah. At the end of the day, I don't think he commits a single no. act mm. of violence. Nope. Other he than kicks kicking, the car. He, kick, he kicks the car. That's yeah. the only thing though, right? And, and that and car deserves to, to be kicked. Yeah. The only, really... uh, it's the only Nicolas Cage moment where he starts yelling and kicking <laughs> the car. <laughs> yeah. I did expect a more, you know, John Wick taken style movie. And this did not, you know, I, I, this is a movie where I'm like, I'm going to check it out again. And kind of knowing what it is, um, maybe I'll have a better time the second time. Mm -hmm. around. Well, so, you, you know, I have to yeah. say the, the, that scene you're talking about and a lot of the scenes in the film, I was, I was moved to tears a couple of times during the film because, you know, I really felt like 
this is the journey that I've been trying to take. You know, I've, mm. I, I realize that I've, dri- I've, I, I've been driven so much by vengeance in my life, you know, like uh, this will show them, this will show. And, and <laughs> the, the, um, the act of cooking for someone who's done you wrong, that is culturally beautiful to me. Yeah. And then, then yeah. it's like, Oh my God, that is gracious. That is grace. And I, I just, I feel like I want to see it. And cooking, yeah. cooking the meal, you yeah. know, the, the one great yeah, meal the he meal. had with his yeah. wife. That is, it's it's loaded with so many so many emotions too. Like this movie, I love the way it explores regret and the way it explores like just like the the passing of your lifetime in a way, like the reputation yeah. that Nicolas Cage's character had, the relationship he had with people. Like I think at one point, the woman he visits was his sous chef, right? And it's like that that close relationship that you have with someone too, who's like basically your your right hand if you're running a kitchen. Um, it all felt so deep. And then she's like, you know, they talk about like what happened to the restaurant. And she realized it didn't, she wasn't a chef necessarily. She was a baker. And that it, this movie is all about those realizations that you yeah. have about your lifetime and your place in the world and how you relate to other people. And I found that all just profoundly beautiful. It yeah. is profoundly beautiful to, to realize that you reach the top of your profession and you're unfulfilled because yes. the person that you share yes. your life with is not there to share it with you. That is amazing. That is amazing. I've walked away in my life from so many things that paid well and I could have been set for life and all this stuff and all the things that they tell you is success. But I was miserable and I was not the father I wanted to be. And I was not the husband I wanted to be. I was not the person that I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And I had to walk away from it. And it put us in financial peril. It caused stress. It caused all these things. We, we you know, went into foreclosure at one point. And it, it took a long time of struggle to come out of the other side of it. But the person struggling was a person I liked. And, 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 and I think that's something that was profoundly beautiful to me as well about pig, you know, along with what Devendra is saying, exactly what Devendra is saying is that the movie is about these moments where you realize um, that you need to be doing the thing that you love. Otherwise you become something that you're not. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap it up. Um, but really appreciate hearing your thoughts on this movie. And uh, I think people should check this out. I think it's definitely worth considering the movie's pig. It's out on video on demand right now and you can buy or rent it. And it's 91 minutes. Come on. It come on. This episode of the film cast is brought to you by movie, a curated streaming service showing exceptional films from around the globe. Every single day, Mubi premieres a new film from iconic directors to emerging auteurs. There's always something new to discover. And with Mubi, each and every film is hand selected. It's like your own personal film festival streaming anytime, anywhere. I'm telling you, if you are a true cinephile, you've got to see Mubi. There are all kinds of films that are groundbreaking that you won't really find anywhere else. And they're categorized, so they're easy to come to. Adaptation section, I'm, I'm browsing over here, has Martin Eden, the Italian film from just a couple of years ago that was so lauded based on the Jack London novel. A Man Called Ove, based on that, that book. I loved that book. Oh my gosh, this is the Swedish version from 2015. There are documentaries, including a movie called Los Angeles plays itself, which is fascinating. The list goes on and on and on. And you don't have to take my word for it. You can try Mubi free for 30 days at Mubi.com slash filmcast. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash filmcast 
for a whole month of great cinema for free. Timeless classics, award-winning masterpieces, and festival fresh gems. Discover hundreds of great films, hand-picked, streaming anytime, anywhere. Mubi.com slash filmcast will get you a month for free. All right, folks, before we move on to our review of CODA, uh, a couple uh, comments in the chat room I just want to respond to. Um, first of all, V. Simone in the chat as we're broadcasting this live at youtube.com slash slash filmcast uh, brings up the fact that Godzilla vs. Kong opened to $32 million. I said $50 million earlier. The number I quoted earlier was the uh, Wednesday through Sunday number, not the Friday to su- through Sunday number. So uh, thank you for that correction. Um, the movie's still doing pretty good. It made uh, almost half a billion dollars as of this recording. Uh, and so it definitely has been one of the success stories of the last six months. But yes, I was a little bit uh, too hot with my uh, calling the number of uh, Godzilla versus Kong in our earlier segment. So apologies for that. Frames in Ink in the chat says, Walter, on Twitter, you said that pig would fit well with Ratatouille on a double bill. What would you pair with the Green Knight? Do you have any <laughs> any thoughts on on what would pair with the Green Knight, Walter? Ooh. Oh man, um, up! No, I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. You, you guys can jump in and help me out at any time here. You know, Green Knight is. Hook. Uh, no, no. Again, no. Um, <laughs> hey, I love hook, hook. I love Hook, and also that movie has a lot of Hook in it. So yeah. Oh, uh, it's true. Um, well, uh, gosh, you know, it's anything the right that's answer. sort of like it's uh, the right answer. It's Hook. No, I, I, I just, uh, you know, anything that's kind of transcendental, I think, and, and, and dreamy in that way, I, mm-hmm. I would. I would toss in there. Let, let me think about it. I'll throw it in there maybe later on. I can't. I can't think of one right now. But yeah, there's a. I, I you know, unlike Jeff, I I loved it. So. <laughs> yeah, the question is the question is what you're going for, right? Slashfilm.com has a list of eleven Arthurian movies to watch after Green Knight, which includes movies like Camelot, the 1967 film, Sword in the Stone, the Guy Ritchie King Arthur, the Antoine Fuqua King Arthur, First Night. Sean Seems, Connery all those movie. seem like such a weird. I don't know. Yeah, they, they're they're similar to the Green Knight in terms of topic, well, but the, not in terms yeah. of feel. The right? Green Knight itself has been made twice before by the same same mm-hmm. director twice before. Not David Lowry, but the same guy did yeah. it twice. But um, you know, I would even say something like a Terrence Malick movie, like Tree of Life or something. Tree of Life. Yeah, yeah you know. Uh, um, and and honestly, with, we with we Knight. suggested two movies to pair with Green Knight, mm-hmm. um, which have similarities in both plot and feel. Uh, which were Excalibur, the uh, Borman. John Borman movie, mm-hmm. as well as The Last Temptation of Christ. Oh, um, 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 yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we did it. We did a double review during our uh, episode of Green Knight. So, yeah, um, uh, Tree of Life, Last Temptation of Christ, Excalibur, all good movies to pair with Green Knight. The Fountain. Uh, what'd you say? Uh, the, uh, um, yeah. Aronofsky's The Fountain. I, w- I would oh, pair yeah. The Fountain with everything. So that's Fountain. Just- <laughs> yeah. Fountain, another yeah. great choice. Yes. Yeah. Um, so anyway, thanks for the comments in the chat. Let's get to our review of Coda. Oh, sometimes I get a good feeling, yeah. Yeah. I get a feeling that I never, 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 never had before. You're the girl with the dead family? Yeah. yeah. I just want to tell you right now. And you sing. Interesting. What are you doing next year? Working with my family. Let me tell you now, I've got a feeling, I feel so strange. Everything about me seems to have changed. 
been coaching for Berkeley College of Music. I can help you get a scholarship. That was from the trailer for Coda, which is streaming right now on Apple TV+. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. As a Coda, child of deaf adults, Ruby is the only hearing person in her deaf family. When the family's fishing business is threatened, Ruby finds herself torn between pursuing her love of music and her fear of abandoning her parents. Coda sold at Sundance for a record-breaking $25 million in January of 2021. Uh, That number is above the $22.5 million that Palm Springs got uh, which was the previous year they got from Hulu and Neon. So this was a crowd pleaser at Sundance. It got extremely positive reviews at the time. Still to this day has extremely positive reviews and just hit Apple TV Plus recently. Devendra, I believe you saw it, quote unquote, at Sundance or during at Sundance. Virtual right? Sundance. My only yeah. Sundance was virtual. But yeah, I saw it there. Indeed. And uh, I think you were part, uh, you know, I remember seeing like this extremely positive buzz. I think it won the grand jury prize as well, as well as the audience award. It did really well. Yeah. So it comes in off of like this, you know, massive kind of, uh, I guess, positivity in terms of like just all these, these records that were being broke, this, these awards that it has, and just like all these critics rooting for this movie. Walter Chaw, I am very curious. Did you think that this movie is worth all of that acclaim? <laughs> no. Oh. No. I I I loathe this movie. I hate it. <laughs> oh man. It is, yes. Let's it is go. maybe um it is it, it is everything that I hate in a movie. And and and, and, and luckily it's all <laughs> in one place. So I, I I can I can avoid it for the rest of my life. It is wow. just uh, <laughs> flaming hot garbage. And it, it is the kind of garbage <laughs> that people really like. So yeah. uh, it'll do what it does. The Golden Globes will go nuts. Uh, it's me and Earl and the dying girl. It is, there's so many, it's like, it's like a date with a guy with only red flags, but you just don't see it. <laughs> wow. But all of your friends are like, what are you doing? That guy's he- a repulsive pig. And so, um, yeah, no, I didn't do it. You uh, know, like in uh, fan, in in Miller's Crossing, when they talk about body blows, <laughs> indeed, uh, Walter's delivering body blows over here. I mean, we, yeah. we, let, let's point out some positive things that Walter, I think even you might agree with, mm-hmm. which is that um, this movie is really meaningful in terms of deaf representation, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, there are multiple, like every actor in this movie portraying a character who is deaf is actually deaf in real life. Um, there are very few movies out there that for which that is true. Even Sound of Metal, one of our favorite movies, you know, the um, uh, the main character was played by somebody um, who is not deaf. And so uh, having Marley Matlin in this movie and having uh, a lot of deaf actors play those characters uh, and uh, often performing uh, by uh, signing, you know, is a, a really meaningful step forward in terms of deaf representation. It's um, huge, and that the fact mm-hmm. that it's so huge is really awful. Because um, <laughs> right, right, you yeah. know, it, it's, it's the same thing. Like like when the live action Mulan came out, and everyone was like, "Oh, it's so good for you guys." I know, I know. Yeah. Like, you know, aren't you happy? Aren't you glad, you guys? Like, no, we're not fucking glad. <laughs> it's, it's extraordinarily patronizing that you think this is progress for us Mm -hmm. and it's also extraordinarily sad that it is actually progress for us 
Right, so, because so theoretically like there should things. be much more representation, and a movie like this should not be groundbreaking. Right? Absolutely, yeah. and yeah. I love and Marley Matlin. I a, love the, that she demanded that the family, that the, the deaf yeah. characters were played by deaf actors. I love that. That's amazing, and they're amazing in this movie. Nothing to do with them. They're great. Yeah. Well, I, I also will say that you know I, I think everything you say is true, of course, but I also appreciate that this movie is not about being deaf per se. It's, it, it, it is also about all these other things. And it's, that's just a mm-hmm. part of the story. It's not, you know, I don't think it is. I, I mean, I, I agree with you a hundred percent, of course, about what you're saying about representation and the conversation around it, but it is nice that it is a movie about a deaf family where mm-hmm. the point isn't just about them being deaf. It is, it is a coming of age tale. It is a, it, there's all these other things going on. They're a, a, they're this awesome family, regardless of their handicap or non-handicap. It is, you know, it is, I, I don't know. I appreciated that about it. Well, mm-hmm. And, 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 and I would argue that they probably wouldn't think of themselves as handicapped, but, but, but I would say that, that, that if you substituted the, 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 the deaf people in the film with Asian people, and you said, okay, now my Asian parents are super embarrassing and they don't like American music and they uh, say inappropriate things to my friends when they're around. Um, they, they, they fart. They're super rude at the, at the recital. They're talking to each other because they don't understand English, right? So they're just these Chinese people in the audience talking to each other while other people are performing. Um, they need to be sort of taught a thing about the, the, the majority culture at the end of it. Uh, and the person that we cast as the kid is not actually going to be uh, somebody who is a native, you know, character. He's, she's going to be somebody else. Um, and we're going to have that be the center point. So it's actually that the, the, the deaf family in this movie is the burden yeah. that it's, it's the, the thing the she's escaping child. from. Yeah, yeah. And the burden she has to carry around because she's got to translate for them. What do they do without her? What did they do before her? What did they do when she's sleeping? What? Did, how do they navigate the world without her? But they they seem to be helpless and victims through the whole whole of it. And, and it's her responsibility to drag the Sisyphean family up a hill with them. You know, there's a great scene on the beach where the the, the brother uh, Leo, who's amazing again, the actor Daniel, great uh, actor, yeah. amazing. He's so good. Daniel Daniel Durant is the D- actor. Daniel yeah. Durant, thank you. And on the beach, he says, "We were fine without you, Saint." Ruby, we don't need you. And I love that. That that's the moment that I want to say, mm-hmm. yes, center the deaf family and say, these people are powerful and strong. Um, they can do a TV interview with an interpreter because that's the law. Uh, if if, they, if they're, they're, they're at a town meeting, a <laughs> or interpreter not, should not, be provided. Not a TV interview, maybe, but like the right. certainly uh, the courtroom uh, scenes. Yes. You know? like, it's yeah. like you're you're portraying a world here that is cartoonishly uh, um, out, 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 out to get this this burden where mm-hmm. all she wants to do is spread her wings and fly. And that that <laughs> that, that scene where 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 Marley Matlin's character, the mother Jackie, says, "Hey, you liking music is like a a, a a kid of blind parents liking art." I'm like, you know, get the fuck out of here with that. Are you kidding me <laughs> with that? You know, are you saying that deaf people don't enjoy music? And and then the rest of this is the sort of the this like you know appropriation of of, of soul music. To, to express, you know, this you know, Mar- Mar- uh, Marvin Gaye song and Etta James song to open it up. What exactly are you doing in this movie? What exactly are you doing with these images that you're portraying in this breakthrough? And, you know, how are you portraying this deaf family in this movie? Are you portraying them as as people? Or, or are they devices for Ruby to overcome to get mm-hmm. to the place where she wants to be? 
And I just, I don't like it. I don't want to see it. It made me feel gross while I was watching it. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's not me. It's not for me to say, right. I'm not a member of this community, but if I superimpose it, if I make it about myself, so if I saw a movie like this about an Asian American kid, get out of here. I don't, I, I, I don't I, want I love that. you, Walter. I'm glad you were here <laughs> to say these, uh, these things because Certainly, coming out of Sundance, uh, people are like, I love this movie. It's great. Everything about it is great. And I had, even when I talked about it then, I was like, this feels like a crowd pleaser. You know? Like, I, I enjoyed watching it, but uh, upon watching it again, it it certainly has issues. I don't think there are, like, I don't think there are, like, issues that kill the movie completely. But it's hard to argue that this movie uh, feels truly groundbreaking, I think, when the template it's uh, it's following high school kid who just wants to you know get away from her family has a cool sassy friend who's more interesting than her um like it, it is a template applied to so many of these coming of age films so th- th- those parts of it just never felt really unique or interesting and then i learned this movie is a remake of a french film um which also has a lot in common with a german film from the mid 90s so it's not even as like groundbreaking conceptually as i thought it was the first time I saw it too. So I feel you, Walter. I, I think like that is a perfectly valid way to think of this movie because it's also like, it feels incredibly cloying at times. Um, it is it, not giving me new things in the world of like coming of age stories. Uh, whereas something like uh, never have I ever on Netflix, uh, which is about an Indian American girl, I think is doing incredible things because it it's not just following the template and it is adding a lot more diversity and other stories into into this genre, you know, it's doing multiple things. Whereas I think this movie is just kind of doing one thing, but Hey, it's a, uh, I know a lot of people will enjoy it. Like that's the thing. And I can't blame them for it. Jeff Kanata. So curious what you thought of Coda. Well, I, I, I'll tell you this. I, I, I threw my limerick in the garbage. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Walter, no, please. No, you're, Walter, you're, you're extremely persuasive. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's uh, a side of the movie that I did not register as I watched it, you know, um, and I I was moved by the movie. I I did enjoy it. I was um, I did come out of it feeling uh, a, a genuine affection for this family and these people and uh, the mother and father. I just found to be uh, charming and delightful. Well, they're and, they're great together. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, great chemistry. Their, yeah. their love, like how the 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 boyfriend character constantly refers to them as being like the best, they have the best relationship. <laughs> they're, they're awesome. And, and I was so um, taken by the, the signed performances um, that how expressive that can be to see th- these, these incredibly impassioned scenes uh, that between two characters that are signing all of the dialogue. Yeah. I just, I loved it. I loved how full body that is. And and it just, it gave me a, a new appreciation for sign language, frankly. Um, anyway, I, I came out of the movie. I I thought it was lovely. I mean, it's, it's, I think, you know, it's Mr. Holland's opus and uh, you're one of a thousand coming of age movies and all wrapped up into one. And yes, it's not doing anything particularly new, but I, I just thought the sort of heart of the the family and the characters themselves were enough to bring me into a place of of uh, loving the ride and and seeing this window into uh, their love for each other and how mm-hmm. that's expressed and 
I, I, I thought the, the teacher character was fun. I just, I, I don't know. I, I liked it, but now I feel, uh, I feel bad for liking it. <laughs> I, I don't know that that's Walter's position that you should feel bad for liking it. Right, Walter? I mean, I think like, well, first of all, we, we should point out that there are people from the deaf community that have written very, uh, persuasively and uh, eloquently about some of the problems of this movie. Uh, we'll link to one of these in the show notes. It's by uh, a woman named Jenna Fistrom Beacom. Um, she wrote a really kind of detailed review of this movie about why uh, movies that have deaf people in them often portray uh, deafness as something to be overcome or as a burden, and that movies like this, uh, despite being groundbreaking in terms of representation, uh, may further this misconception in ways that are damaging. Um, I would submit to you that this movie is um, unpleasant for reasons that have nothing to do with how problematic it is, though. <laughs> Which is to say that I think it is just extremely rote and pedestrian in both plotting and execution. Um, and you know that I, I agree with like the fact that the movie is problematic, and you know I'm not disputing that at all. But I guess. I also had issues with the execution of the movie overall, just mm-hmm. as a movie, even if even if uh, there were no deaf characters in it. Th- there are um, three montages. There are three, <laughs> three montages, maybe four. I'm forgetting one, probably. There's, like, there, there, there's, a, there's a choir audition scene montage. That there's, there, it's, it's, it's repugnant filmmaking. You know? <laughs> it, 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 to me, it's like, here's this thing where I'm like, what are you doing right now? Even the 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 music teacher Bernardo Villalobos, you know, and he's very expressive and flamboyant, and uh, never get never get. It's like it's it's, it's the birdcage, except that's a, that's a satire. What is this? What is yeah. this going yeah. on? Uh, the, the, you know, there are, there are several there are several things that are hard to forgive about the movie, in my opinion, um, beyond the problematic nature of one of one of which is the depiction of the choir teacher. I thought is just yeah. Really terrible. Like, I, I think oh, that oh. is specifically that actor too, because that is he is uh, it's uh, Eugenio Derbez, and he has been in a lot of you know he, he's a big comedian in uh, in Latin America. He also starred in How to Be a Latin Lover in that Overboard remake. So yeah, I mean, That's I have to believe. Style. Yeah, I, I have to believe that the the direction was also a part of it. But yeah, no, no, uh, certainly I, go go to eleven is probably yeah, his command. Yeah, start at eleven. Never go never go lower than that. Um, and then. The, the the main romantic relationship between Ruby and was it Miles was the guy's name? Um, My, Vanilla Miles yogurt. Was, Vanilla yogurt. He, he was just a <laughs> huge nothing burger. There there was no chemistry between these two characters at his, all. His family has problems of some sort. You he know, yeah. He's got it great is abs. every '90s movie like yeah cliche. Yeah. So nothing against not, nothing against any of the the actors. The uh, that guy. Um, F- Ferdia Walsh Pilo, who plays uh, Miles in Coda, he Fantastic. was actually, I think, one of the leads in Sing Street. He played Connor in Sing Street. So ah. very, very talented young man. It's just given nothing to do in this movie. So uh, I, I think the movie also has a lot of issues uh, f- from just like a basic construction perspective. But uh, there are moments in the movie that were really still powerful, you know? And I, I think, uh, Jeff, you alluded to some of them, like some of these impassioned speeches, uh, mm-hmm. which are communicated via sign language are, uh, just really incredible to watch and, um, and moving. 
Uh, and so it's not a movie that I felt like had had nothing redeeming about it, but overall, uh, I did not enjoy it. Yeah, I you know, I, 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 I'm even a little bit troubled with the idea of, of 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 that. You know, I think if something good comes out of a bad movie, that's always great. That's always great. You know, I mean, take it and run with it. If somebody watches Mulan and thinks, "Hey, she is Chinese magic," and I like the Chinese now, and I didn't before, great. Take that with you and maybe stop beating us up a little bit. But. Um, you know, the, 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 there, there's a, you know, there's a scene on a flatbed, right, in, in the film where, you know, the, the father says, Sing are we, it to are we getting into, I think we're getting into spoilers here. If so, let's wait the spoilers. Okay. Yeah? All right. Yeah. yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll, 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 we'll get into it. But in a broad sense, it feels like this film really to me prioritized the idea of speaking versus the idea of signing, mm. which I think is going to be offensive to an entire community of people who communicate through signing. You know, it, it would be the equivalent, again, if I make it about me again, it's all about me, you guys, is, is that if you said, hey, I didn't realize that the Chinese could be so expressive. I didn't realize that the Chinese could do all these things and with their language. I, I was really moved by that. Uh, I, I've learned to appreciate Chinese in a different way now. Um, and, 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 you know, it was really cool that the Chinese dad learned how to say a couple of words in English at the end of it. And, and for me, it's like that... Now you're playing in a place where mm. whatever positive is coming out of this for you as appreciating another culture still is kind of patronizing the other culture for not being a fully formed culture. And if we need that education, we need it. That's great. I need it. The language that I use to talk about disability is terrible. I don't know how to do it. and I'm working on it. I'm learning. But every every time I say something crippled my desire for this or something twisted, you know, I, I, I am being tone deaf to an entire population of human beings. And I, I worry that a film like Coda is tone deaf to an entire population of human beings. Um, and, 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 and that's not all right. And it's great that they're represented. It's great that we have, you know, Doran Fa in American films. It's great. It's, but it's not great to have them as a sidekick to Chris Tucker. there's always something that we're giving back, it seems like, in this culture when we talk about representation. And that's, I'm tired. (laughs) I'm just just tired, I guess. Mm -hmm. And and if this film were better, it'd be harder for me to be like this about it. You know, if Mm -hmm. I would be like, yeah, but look at the craft. Look at how beautiful it is. Look at how they really portray working class culture. Look at how they really portray you know, the class struggle, look at how they portray corporization. They don't do any of it well. It, all of it is a function of this YA plot, and it's terrible. You know, there was a movie that came out like seven years ago called The Tribe. You guys remember that movie? Yeah. It's, it's a U- yeah. Ukrainian yeah. film. The whole thing was done without subtitles. It, it's, this, it's a stock plot, but it's remarkable. It's remarkable stuff. I tried watching this twice because I was like, I don't want to go to town on something without really giving it its due. The second time I watched it, I turned off the subtitles. So I didn't know what anyone was saying. And you know what? It was instantly better because now I'm not patronized by the bad jokes and the doctor's visit and the dick stuff. It's not patronizing anymore. It's something that's unique and valuable, I think, culturally. You know, The way it's presented now, everything is just a function of her evolution and she's the person I cared the least about. Can I uh, ask a question, a genuine question that comes from a place of honesty? Uh, I, I'm not going to dispute anything that you say about the film uh, and it's, it's quality level. Uh, but if, if I were a person who had never, or not even never, but, but almost never seen 
two people speak Chinese to each other. And I came away and I watched a film where, where that was depicted. And I said to myself, oh my gosh, that is beautiful. It's a beautiful thing to see these two people speak their native language to each other. And, and I've never seen that language spoken with such passion. Is that patronizing? I, I'm not saying that, that, that they should now they should learn English or anything like that. It, it, it's more like, man, I came away from that seeing these people speaking their native language to each other. And f in one of the first times of my life, I, I, appreciating it on a whole new level. I, I don't think that would come from a place of patronizing or, or kind of the, the negativity, the negative uh, angle that you were expressing, but maybe you can correct me. No, no, I, I think you're exactly right. I, I think, but it could be both things. I can be, I think it could be both paternalistic and also well-meant and valuable. Because by its nature, when you say, I didn't think another culture was as developed emotionally as mine was, that by no, its I nature- I think is that's what I'm saying, but, but go well, ahead. Well, I, I, I mean, it, well, if I said, okay, I watched two people speaking in Swahili, a language that I'm not familiar with, and I was really moved by the beauty of their expression with each other and that connection. I think by the nature of saying that, it's revealing that I maybe thought something different before or mm -hmm. that I had not considered it before. So by it's, its like nature, when people tell me, you're so well-spoken. Yes. I'm like, oh, uh, okay. Because what you were expecting you something expect? else. Did you expect me to have an accent of some kind? Like, did you expect something else? Yeah. Ex exactly right. And yet they could say it in a way that's intended well. Certainly intended sure. well. It's just a bias that they're not examining in that moment. But that you're examining and now that now it's there, it's super positive. So now let's get to a place where we can watch the good version of Coda that doesn't do this other garbage that others, this culture, right? Now, now, can we now progress? And I think that's the question that every minority group in the United States is asking all the time. It's mm -hmm. like, I'm glad that you've taken this step. Can we now progress? Um, I just want to push back slightly and sure. say that I think there's a difference between saying, I noticed something was beautiful and I didn't expect it to be beautiful. And saying, I noticed something was beautiful and I didn't expect it to be this beautiful. You know what I mean? It's not that I, it's not that I expect it. Oh, I know my language is beautiful and someone else's is not. I don't mm -hmm. think that's what my, what I was saying when I, it was that there is a level of beauty here that transcended the sort of basic level of, uh, that these performances were evocative in a way I did not expect, but not because I didn't expect them to be uh, effective or, um, or beautiful. It's mm -hmm. just that there, there was, it, I was struck having seen people express themselves in their native language that gave me an appreciation for the heights it can reach. I, I, I do think there's a distinction there, but you know, I, I, yeah, I take you your know, point. I absolutely take your point. Yeah, no, and I think you're expressing yourself really well. And, and I, I would say that you're maybe even talking about two different things at that moment. When you're saying that the performances are beautiful and they are they are masters of their language and they're masters of communication, you know, like Maria Callas or something. That when you're saying that, absolutely. If you're saying, and you weren't, but were one to say, I never thought sign language could be beautiful and could express the whole range of human emotion. That's certainly something different. If you're saying that the performances are remarkable, great. 
I, I love that. I, I think so too. I think they are remarkable, quite remarkable. If like many are saying, it's like, this is the first time I considered sign language to be a language. That's a problem. And they're not saying it so baldly, but they're, you know, I have heard things, <laughs> you know, I'm going to do the anonymous sourcing, but you know, like I think a lot of reviews are saying this is really a breakthrough because now, you know, the, for the first time people are learning that sign languages can be an emotive medium of, of communication. Mm. And yeah. that's completely different. I yeah. think that what you're saying. And Mar- like, Marley Matlin's like, I've, I've been doing this forever guys. Yeah. I want like, a freaking Oscar for this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and yeah, but, but, even that though is a little bit colored for me in the film. When at the end of it, she she signs. Oh, anyway, uh, we can't talk yeah, about yeah. that. Let, let, but, let's but, get this yeah. But I, I think my my sense of what Walter was saying, and Walter, you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that like when Walter says he's tired, I, I felt like you're you're more tired of like movies like this kind of giving some representation, but then taking things away uh, in in other forms, right? Yes. Uh, in in terms of its themes, in terms of its depiction of these characteristics as some kind of burden or downside or, or just being insensitive or, or otherwise. Right. Like, and, and that, that to me felt like more the target of your anger than Jeff Kanata specifically this evening. Um, but that's just my, that's my interpretation. Oh man. Right? I am yeah. just so not angry at Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't think that. Well, hey, Please don't think well that. speak for I, yourself. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So. <laughs> the night is young. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we get the spoilers for Coda starting right now? Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. All right, so there. I'll start off by uh, by listing something that's really annoying me. That doesn't really even have that much to do with you know the fact that. Uh, this character is a child of deaf adults. And that is that I am really, really tired of movies or TV shows that conclude with uh, an audition of some kind where the audition is depicted in ways that are like, you know, really unrealistic. In in this case, (laughs) in the case of this movie, like, you know, the parents being allowed to come in and sit down and it's just like, Fine. We're fine with that. We notice right. it. And it's we're like, like, there's a reason that the, you're not allowed, right? Yeah. It's because, like, you know, for, for a variety of reasons. Now, it obviously gives them the ability to have this, like, beautiful moment where she connects with them um, by signing and stuff. Like, I get why they did it, but there was literally another show I watched that I'm not going to name because it would spoil it, but where a character, like, it concludes with, like, an audition for you know, uh, this music conservatory or whatever, and just everything just leading up to that is so... It's like what someone would imagine it would be like to rehearse and perform for a, a conservatory as opposed to like yeah. what the actuality is like, you know, of like, oh, yes, we're going to do all these exercises. Uh, you know, like it, it's very theatrical uh, the way it's depicted in the sh- in the, the film. And uh, I don't know. It just it, it was grating to me. The mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. music conservatory subplot personally. But anyway, mini rant over. Uh, Walter, there's some things you wanted to say about uh, the ending of this movie. Well, there's she 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 does a sign interpretation of Joni Mitchell's both sides now. So if you didn't think the rest of the film was too on the nose, it's here you go. Um, And and there there are so many problems I think with this fetishization of sign language. Um, There there was a cover. Do you remember this cover of Cardi B's WAP? 
um, that that oh that that, uh-huh. that that this uh-huh. this white woman who is not deaf um, used sign language to interpret it, and, uh, you know, and went viral, and it was this huge thing, and people were looking at it and everything, and, and it's like th- there's so many issues here. Everybody loved it except for you know m- most of the deaf community, as I understand, and so it, it's like there's it's the kind of audition that you do when you're like a high school senior and you don't have to speak sign language, but you learn it so that you can do, you know, wind beneath my wings or something in a really emotional sort of way. There's a certain appropriation of sign and of another culture and another language going on that's carried through to the rest of the film with this whole thing with the rap music where, you know, does, do your parents even like rap music? Well, they like rap because they can feel it because rap's not music. I mean, wh- wh- what is the, what are you saying about, you know, all these, all these cultures that you're appropriating, to tell the story of this white girl going going to Berkeley, that's stop it. I I, I don't want this story anymore. And, and many 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 people, millions of people, twenty five million dollars worth of people, you know, uh, Apple is gambling. Want to see that story again? Fine, that's fine. They're probably right. I don't know. I don't know. But um, at the end of the day, that's not a story that I want to hear anymore. Especially not told this way. All right. Um. Yeah. I mean, one, I, I, one, I really one thing don't know how to follow there. that up, Walter. <laughs> I, I can I can add to that actually because <laughs> yeah. I think this movie starts with uh, the lead character singing, um, you know, singing soul music, basically, right? Like singing. Eddie James. Yeah, black music is a big part of this movie, and I was waiting for a lot of it to be like, so where, where are the black people in this <laughs> in this world? And there are a couple in the school and like some background kids in the, in the choir. But this is, that's one of those red flags that hit me as I started watching. It's like, Oh, this is, I I guess I see who this is for, but it may not be me. Maybe that's it. Well, I guess because the objection being that like it, it is uh, using black music as kind of the vector of like activating her, her self actualization. Right. Like, and that's that this is something that we've seen, Many many times before, uh, in movies like black music or black art, as kind of this this way to to actualize white people, and like we've seen this story before, and um, maybe we don't need to see it again. Maybe it's problematic, uh, and that is, uh, I guess, another component of the movie. Um, well, guys, I mean. I feel like uh, that was kind of a <laughs> that was kind of a coup de gras, uh, coup de grace that that Walter delivered against this movie. It's perfect. Mean, yeah. th- there's some things I I would even think are worth praising, you know, about the movie. That uh, let, let me throw out a couple praiseworthy worthy things about the movie. Um, like uh, I thought that most of the direction of the movie was fairly pedestrian, um, but there was this moment. And, and and Walter, I'm curious, you know, curious, curious what you think of this. Like, let's 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 have it out. But like, uh, there's this moment when she's like performing music for the first time, and her parents are like watching her perform music. And I was really bummed that that moment was not directed in a more mm-hmm. interesting way. Like, on stage lighting is inherently dramatic, and it's just like, oh, you know, this scene is lit like, you know, they're at uh, Denny's or whatever. Like, there's there's nothing special about it. Um, but then you kind of there's tons of specials at Denny's. <laughs> then you have, see, you have you been to a Denny's? Yeah, 
you see the the sound cavern melt away and then you see the scene from her father's perspective and i thought that was an interesting moment of sound design um Mm -hmm. that is meant to show the two of them connecting a little bit more and her father developing an appreciation of what she does now uh, granted like everything until that point is objectionable and the relationship between them you know but i don't know it felt like a nice moment to me walter i'm putting (laughs) i'm putting this out here as like a little little piece of praise of the movie and I'm, I'm seeing what you think of it. What, what, what do you think? Well, I have so much praise for the cast of the film. I think, you know, I think they're great. I think they, they do so much with um, so little. I think they recognize it largely as this opportunity, right? This representational moment for them. And they're in it. I, I, I love the the actor who plays the, the father, Troy Kotzer. Incredible. I, I love his his, his 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 chemistry. There's a lot to like about this. I you know, I, I like the scenes on the water. I thought it was really beautifully shot. You know, there's stuff to like about this film, and I get why people like it. It's it's like once, you know, it, it makes people really just hey, tap my feet and tear my eye, and you know, the, it's it's one of those movies. It just gives you the tingle, and whether it's earned or not, you know. Um, so so far beat for me to say that there's nothing of value in the film. And if you take something away from this, that's positive and cha- makes you want to research and do, you know, that's the, the old saw, right? That if you, if you want to have further conversations about this, at least have those conversations and that could be a valuable thing. But I would even say when you make it completely silent to show the point of view of deaf parents, I don't, I'm not deaf. I, I, I have a deaf friend, I, I, whatever, you know, I don't know. I don't have that experience. I can't tell you. I do know that some deaf in the deaf community have written about their experience of deafness is not uniform and that is not complete. The, the it, absolute silence is not a true representation yeah. of that either. Rather what it is, is or, a representation. Or it, it, it doesn't, it's not always that at least. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. And so, but what it is always is how hearing people imagine deafness is. And so again, we're seeing things from, a point of view that's not, you know, I, I always say, and I said this about Malcolm and Marie too, at one point, it's like, yeah, you're talking about all this stuff and you're talking about all the things that you think you're supposed to be talking about. Imagine if Zendaya had directed that movie. That's, that's the progress I want to see. Imagine if Marley Matlin had directed this movie. Imagine that. And now she can make some of these decisions that were not made. And now she can like reorient it around the things that were not done the way that they should, they, 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 Maybe should have been, um, you know. Essentially, the plot of this movie is the plot of the Planet of the Apes musical from The Simpsons, right? It's like you know she's been interpreting for them all of her <laughs> life, but now her real joy is singing. I can sing, you know. That's it's. <laughs> this is not a positive way to represent a community as a burden on the hearing community. Uh, that that that's the bottom line for me. There's really great things about it. There's there, there's great things about Triumph of the Will. There's really great things about stuff. At the end of the day, if I believe, and I could be wrong, I, again, I'm not a member of this community, you guys. I'm just like an angry old guy. Is that? But if I believe that a piece of art is more damaging than it is beautiful, then I kind of discard the art. That's it. Um, and change my mind. Please, you know, deaf community, please stand up and, uh, and say, Walter, you pretentious piece of shit. How dare you speak for me? <laughs> this is amazing. This is the thing that we really needed. This is our Brokeback Mountain. This is it. Then I'll, I'll say, mea culpa. I'm just speaking out of turn. And it's my own rage and my own unexamined biases and anger at being part of a minority that I feel is being patronized in this culture. That's all it is that I'm expressing. 
You know, I'm just superimposing it onto this. If I'm wrong about this, I'm ready to learn. I am. I'm ready to learn. But as I was watching it, it felt gross and it felt familiar. You know, even the clothes that she was wearing, you know, and everyone's making fun of her because she stinks and she's wearing this dumpy shit. I grew up, my parents owned tourist stores and they sold Colorado t-shirts. My whole school career, I wore t-shirts from the state that I was living in. You know, that's that was my wardrobe and I got teased mercilessly. And I was looking at that and I was saying, there's something that this movie could be and should be talking about. What's it talking about? Whether or not she's going to kiss kiss the cute boy and go to music school. Well, you know, despite all that, <laughs> the end of the day, is it's that, still this impressive. Is the first that... time that that is not going to even land right. That, like, even that <laughs> is not going to land. Listen, it's impressive that Sean Hader got twenty five yeah. million dollars from Apple to make that's this. Movie. Si- it's well, impressive well, that Sean Hader and, and Michael Cernovsky made movies. You know, because <laughs> movies are really hard to make. Yeah, it's it's Sean Hader, by the way. But oh, Sean Hader. Okay, Sean apologies. Hader. I, here, I think I do want to say this. I think she has a good movie in her at some point. Like she, she's an executive producer on Little America, which is a show I love, and which is all about actually. I think putting a camera on you know people who are underrepresented. Um, it, it's a story about immigrants in America, you know, and I think there are so many great episodes in that series that it's worth uh, checking out. Um, I think like she has a genuine. She also interest helped to write many episodes of Orange Is New Black, which exactly. is a brilliant. And she was show. a producer yeah. there so, too, so yeah. so I, I I think her interests, you know, were ultimately like she was she was trying to do something good here, but it's like the result to me feels a little too rote to be to be useful. But hey, I'm. I'm glad she got her, you know, I got, I'm glad she got this success and I'm glad Apple is putting out money for movies like this. I think a couple of years ago, you know, five years ago, even I'm not sure that would have happened. And I do think like the, they're all the big companies want to throw more money to things that are a little more provocative now, or at least show representation in, uh, in a way. I just don't know if that's enough to make it a good movie. All right, folks, let's wrap up. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. You can email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.bandcamp.com. Our spoiler prepper comes from filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Corwith. This episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Uh, Walter Chaw, I want to say thank you again so much for joining us today. Where can people find more of your work on the internet, Walter? <laughs> you can go to if film, people want to find it. You can go to <laughs> filmfreakcentral.net. Uh, you know, I have a few articles up at Decider. Um, uh, I, you know, ultimately, I think I've burned up all the goodwill that I built up. So Dude, apologize. not even thank remote. You for having me. Not even remote. <laughs> I, I, the, the eloquence and clarity that mm-hmm. you brought to your, to your comments on this movie are... It's certainly appreciated by me, and I would I would venture to guess most of our audience. Uh, and it's uh, I'm grateful that you were here to talk about this movie. Uh, so so don't even yeah. there there was no goodwill burned. If if any, you, you probably uh, there will be another chavalanche. Well, I just uh, you just want another excuse to use that. Well, um, you know, I just want to say I genuinely love you guys, and I genuinely love movies. I just want them to be as I just want them to be honorable. You guys, that's yeah, it. I love yeah. it. I love it. No, well uh, said, Walter. Whenever you're with us, I imagine you walking away to the uh, to the the ending theme of the Incredible Hulk TV series. <laughs> just, <laughs> da, da, da. My work here yeah. is done. Yeah. Um. So uh, next week on the podcast, we are actually going to be off, uh, but we are rebroadcasting an old episode that we pulled from the archives. 
our review of Fantastic Four, the Josh yeah. Trank superhero movie. <laughs> the episode uh, I wasn't on, so uh, yeah. I see what you're doing, Dave. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, so we, we wanted to pull so an episode. Th- there are like a handful of episodes. <laughs> Is that I'm true? I didn't know. Yeah, that. there are like maybe five. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, Dave yeah. went right to it that hilarious. one. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I wanted it, you know, we'd already rebroadcast the Transformers one. That was a lot of fun, and we already rebroadcast that one. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But yes, um, yeah, yeah. Fantastic Four, uh, <laughs> that's going to be the episode next week, and uh, Jeff and I recorded a new intro for it, so you can listen to that. Yeah, just Jeff and next you. Next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I had no idea that was true. It's so funny. <laughs> we, talk, we literally talked about it when we were talking about which episodes to pick, but uh, oh, Dave just went, went right ahead with that, with that plan. <laughs> Love it. Well, think of it as having yet another week off. To do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, even even the ghost of Devinder Pass doesn't need to be on the episode. You know, you can just chill, just chill. I'm gonna and, I'm gonna like live stream that episode and also have like my remarks. On, there you uh, go. On a yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you that, that'll it. be you my thing. Indeed. All right. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you uh, not next week, but in a couple weeks uh, for a brand new episode of the Filmcast. Watch the movies, flicks, I 